So today we are focusing on the idea of all things new, and we are kind of in a new season of ministry here at the church. We uh, kids, so kids are here with us today. It's kind of our last family Sunday, and they'll start their new groups. And a lot of them have started at new schools or new teachers and classes. So very new. We have a, a new quarterback for the next four weeks for our local boys who start their season tonight. Uh, it's just change of seasons. It's just change of rhythm. So it's a good day to think about newness. And we're finishing a sermon series. We've been looking all summer together at these prophecies from the prophet Isaiah. And now we come to the end of the prophet in the end of his prophecies, and really what we have is a, an image, a, a beautiful hope for a future. It's the culmination of all of God's saving work with his people, and it's, it's a vision of hope and, and a future, and it's just this beautiful, forward-looking vision of the newness, the new things that, that God is bringing about through the Savior, through Jesus. And for the people of Isaiah's day, they needed this. When, when they were just being so sinful, the message they needed was a message of warning. When they ended up in exile, in really punishment, the message they needed was a message of comfort and of strength through that. Now they needed a vision even beyond that, that God's saving work would return them to their land, that there would be a beautiful hope and a beautiful future, a new, a new building, and be back in your land to worship again. But as we read it, we see that the predictions that Isaiah is making go far beyond the people of his day to this, to all the way to a new heavens and a new earth. It's just a beautiful picture of God's saving work completed for all time. So this is a message not just for them, but it's a message for our day as well. And it's a message, honestly, that we need. We understand the same pattern of brokenness and sin and, and even as scripture says, that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory and God's standards. Yet he offers us his salvation and we're kind of in this exile and separated from God. But as we receive by faith what Jesus Christ has done, what he accomplished on the cross, we can be restored in a relationship with God. And it's, it's being rebuilt and, and a new identity and a new way is, is being formed. And we can live into that and we with anticipation look forward to God's good work that he will complete at the end of time. But we're in this sort of in-between time where God's saving work is being unfolded in our world and we don't know it in all of its fullness yet. We're in this in-between time, and I'll tell you this, the in-between time is a great time of opportunity. And if we don't see it, we can get really stuck. We can get stuck in the rut of thinking that every day is just going to be like the next, that Life will just continue the way it always continues. We can be discouraged by the lack of progress in our world. We see, you know, especially on a day like today where we remember 9-11 uh, 15 years ago, considering the world then and looking today and terror is still active in our world and there's injustice and new diseases and uh, new injustices and you just, you can get really discouraged. Or you could look at a situation in your own life and feel like, you know, tomorrow is just going to be like today, and is there any hope? And this image of hope is, is just, a, it can really empower us to enter into what God is doing. Jesus himself said this. In Revelation 21, he says, Behold, I am making everything new. 
And that's the world we live in, where the newness that God will one day usher in fullness, we get to see it ushered in day by day. And I want to focus on three aspects of it. Uh, one is that it, from chapter 61, oh, and I couldn't choose. It was the, the end of Isaiah. It's just full of this beautiful imagery. And I, so I picked three excerpts, and I want to kind of pull three truths from that, three things that are new. So from chapter 61, we'll see that we have a new ministry. From chapter 62, we're going to see we have a new identity. And from chapter 63, a new home. And all these new things. And if we just sit and think it's not going to change, we get so discouraged. You could go to the picnic today. We have a big picnic after church right after this. You could go there, and it could be that last little band of showers coming through, and you think, it's just going to rain all day. This is the worst day for a picnic. My church doesn't know how to plan a picnic. This is a disaster. This could be true. But, except I looked at the radar, and the radar showed that after the thunderstorms that came by a little bit ago, this is one last little band, it's going to fizzle out. This is going to be a gorgeous day for a picnic. So don't turn your car around and leave. Just sit there for a few minutes. It's going to be a beautiful day for a picnic. And if we can just have the hope to say on the radar there's this beautiful thing and we just, we're going to wait for it and we're going to anticipate it, it's beautiful. So let's, let's pray as we do that. Father, this is to gather as your people, as your church, and really in some ways to reconnect today. We're grateful for that opportunity and for each other. But above all else, we'll, we're grateful for you. We're grateful for your saving work in our lives and in our world. And we pray now, Lord, that you would give us a vision as we look at your word, a vision for what you're doing and what you desire to do in and through us, your people, Lord. So we just ask that humbly, and we pray that you would be our teacher in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, first thing that's new. Jesus gives us a new ministry. Verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. Who? Who's me? So... And if you've been reading through the prophet Isaiah, it's sometimes hard to tell who's talking. Is this the Lord speaking? Is this the prophet Isaiah speaking? Is it a prophecy of another voice speaking? Here, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. The me, clearly, from the context, is the same servant that was talked about in the last few chapters here, 40 to 55. It's the same Messiah of chapters 1 through 35. It's the servant Messiah, and we know that's Jesus. And Jesus knew it was Jesus, too. There was an account in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus uh, comes to the earth and he is in a synagogue. And as the custom in the synagogue, there are, they would read scripture and a rabbi or a teacher would read the scripture and then sit down and expound and explain and kind of like what, how we worship. We read scripture and then somebody stands up and explains and expounds on the scripture and teaches on it. So Jesus goes to the synagogue, and as was the custom, they handed him a scroll, and he opens the prophet Isaiah, and he turns to Isaiah chapter 61, to this passage, and he reads this. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolls up the scroll, and he hands it back to the attendant. And he sits down and he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled. He said, this is it. It's here with me that, that this promise of a day and of God's saving work coming to the world that was, that was promised by the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years ago. 
in your hearing it today through me, it's being fulfilled. And it's being completed. And what does it do? It creates a whole group of ministers and of priests. Look at verse 6 here. 61 verse 6. It says, uh, you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of God. Jesus said the culmination of his ministry, which he brought to the world, was to make priests and ministers. And that's all of his people. That's you. You are priests and ministers. And you can say, well, I don't feel like a priest or a minister. I don't know. What, what do I do next? He, we continue Jesus' ministry. Because Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And he said, as I have loved, so you must love one another. We just continue the same things that Jesus was doing as he brought God's salvation. Well, what did Jesus do? It's right here in the text. Uh, look at verse 1. He said, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Proclaiming good news. The word good news, we use the word gospel, means good news. That as ministers of Jesus, as his priests, we are given this great news message that we can bring to the world around us every day. This message that, uh, that, that we can know the God of the universe, that our life can have great meaning and purpose because we're not just distant from God in our sin, but he came to save us and Jesus died on a cross to, to take a, uh, the penalty, really the guilt of your sin on himself and give us his goodness that we can know God every day. That's the message that you can bring with you. And we can be ready to speak it. And that's part of our ministry. But the other part of the ministry, continuing, continuing here in verse 1, says, He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. So you are a healer. So every day when you wake up, if you, if you are a Christian, you have a, this new ministry, then you, are, you can bring healing to the world around you. Now, you could get up in the morning and say, another day, things are going to be the same as they were last week at work, you know, day, day after day, kind of the routine and the grind, and, or you could, you could wake up and say, I'm a healer, and God could put people in my path today who need healing, and I can be his agent of healing, and people in the, the hurt and the brokenness that people feel in your everyday, in your neighborhood, in the schools, in your place of work, there are people who are hurting and need healing. And if you have that vision, you can see it's a whole new ministry, not just day after day. And that's just part of the ministry. Look at, look at what else here. Continuing on verse 1. Uh, to proclaim freedom for captives, release from darkness for prisoners, Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. It's about God's justice and freedom for those who were enslaved. And Jesus talked about being enslaved. In fact, he talked mostly about being enslaved in sin. Anybody who sins, Jesus said, is a slave to sin. That the reality is we all have this sin and brokenness in our lives. And how now you respond to that, both in your own life and in the lives of people around you, is a part of your ministry. So as you fall short, and as you sin, seeking forgiveness from God, seeking forgiveness for people around you who you've wronged, in humility, living a life of humility in all that you do, is, is going to speak volumes about you and the God that you know and that you serve in this ministry. How you deal with other people's sins, when you are offended, when you are the one who needs to extend forgiveness. 
and the humility that it takes to do that. That is part of the ministry of Christ, that he has called us to be his priests now, to be his ministers. We can live that out every day. But that's only part of it. It goes on. Uh, to comfort all who mourn, to provide uh, for those who grieve. And as you go about your day, you realize you can't heal everybody's problem. You can't be the agent of all the reconciliation in the world. There's people who are just broken and hurting and grieving, whether it's because of a loss or, or death or just some other, uh, some other loss that just causes grief, that we can be comforters. So you can wake up every morning as you get ready to go about your day and say, you know what? God is calling me to bring comfort to the world around me. I have a mission. I have a purpose. This is everyday ministry. You might, you might feel stale and stuck in a rut and in a routine. Don't ever forget that in Jesus Christ we have a whole new ministry. The 168 hours in the week, you've heard me say this, Hopefully you sleep for about 48 of those. That leaves you 120. Maybe if you do a lot, you, know, you come to church and you go to your small group and you serve with the ministry, you might spend 10 hours a week doing churchy stuff. That leaves you 110 hours every week where you can live out this ministry in the world around you. Speaking the good news, bringing healing, proclaiming forgiveness and deliverance, comforting people who mourn. That is a beautiful way of life that we can all live. So we get a new ministry. That's the first thing. Second thing, Jesus gives us a new identity. This is chapter 62, sort of in the middle of your text there. And as it says in verse 2, you will be called a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. So Zion gets this new name. Now Zion, as you read through Isaiah and through Scripture, Zion is the city of God. It's Jerusalem, quite literally. <coughs> But also, there's a figurative sense that Zion is the city of God in a more general sense, where God's presence is and where God's people are enjoying his presence and life together. So, in a sense, who's God's people? Well, that's us. That's the church. So we are the new Israel, the new, the, the, the new people of God. And when we think about Zion in the figurative sense, we're part of this city. And the image here is God rejoicing over his people. Not just us as individuals, but God rejoicing over his people together, his church. And the image there is the love that a groom has for his bride, is the love that Jesus has for his church. I had the privilege yesterday of, of doing a, a wedding. A former student of mine, uh, Patrick Lowry, and some of you know his parents, uh, uh, Dan and Nancy Lowry, Great family. Patrick's a great guy. And he married like, just a wonderful woman, beautiful. And uh, they were there, you know, in, the, in this little chapel out in Gloucester and uh, making their vows to one another. And it's just, just a beautiful image of love. And they got a little choked up during the vows and little tears. And they were able to compose themselves. Unlike me at my wedding. <laughs> I couldn't. And I told you this story before, but I couldn't compose myself. I saw my wife in the back of the church, her father, who loved her so much, and, and I just lost it. And I just cried and cried, and the, and the boogers were coming out. <laughs> and I know this because we paid somebody to photograph this event. <laughs> and the photographs show this, and I couldn't, 
and my wife, when she's nervous, she laughs. So she's laughing, and I'm crying, and I couldn't. The whole thing start to finish. It was ugly. And to this day, in her home church in Hollis, New Hampshire, if you lose your composure and you can't regain it, they call that pulling a John Paul. <laughs> so, oh, you don't want to do that. You pull yourself together. Don't pull a John the point is this, I love that woman so much, 15 years ago, and it's just that the love of God for his people is that groom who's just so adores the beautiful bride, and we're the beautiful bride. And when you can grasp that, your new identity is the bride of Jesus, then you're free. And all the other ways we, le we, we seek to gain approval from people, you know, trying to gain the approval of my boss who's harsh on me or a coworker who doesn't trust me or a family member or, you know, my neighbors and the, my community around me, you know, do I fit in? Am I good enough? They, all those things. When you know the God of the universe loves you, treasures you like a beautiful bride who he would die for, all the other approval that you seek in life just goes away and you know that you are loved and accepted and treasured. So then what do you do with that? If you've sensed it, if you've, if you've grasped this image, well, look at what Isaiah says. Look at verse, uh, right in 62 here. He says, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. He's saying this, I'm not going to shut up until God finishes this good work. When you catch this image, you just don't shut up. You just don't stop calling out until God finishes it. And that's why we pray. And that's why we pray big prayers and bold prayers. We will not stay silent. We will call out on the Lord. Lord, bring about this great new way. Bring about this new kingdom, Lord. Finish your work. We want it. And we will continue to pray together. If you thought tomorrow was going to be just like the next day, the next day, forever, you wouldn't pray prayers like this. But if you believe that God is ushering in a new kingdom and we can be part of it and he's going to complete it, we're going to call out loud. And I, as a church, we're going to take a whole week of prayer and fasting this upcoming week. We're going to start tonight through, uh, through next Sunday. And we've, we we've talked a lot about prayer. We haven't talked as much about fasting. And, we've got, and it can be misunderstood. Jesus fasted. He expected that his followers would also fast. So it's, it would be good for us to understand this. We have some resources on the welcome desk about this week of prayer and fasting. How do we understand it? How do I do it? How do I participate? It's all in that booklet. Grab one of those and join us. However God is calling you to join into this and pray with us. And pray for revival in our community. If I thought our community would just be the way it is forever, I wouldn't pray for revival. But we can pray huge prayers that God's work would be done in this place as it is done in heaven and as it will be done in the new heavens and the new earth as he brings it in. And that's the vision that we have. That is our new identity as the bride of Jesus. We can pray prayers like that. So please join us. So we have a whole new ministry, a whole new identity, and we're getting a new home. This we pick up in chapter 65 now. See, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered. So now we have a whole new heavens and earth. And it is a place of joy and delight and no more tears. This is, this is it. This is the new heavens, the new earth. It's just a beautiful image. Now, kids are with us today. And I think sometimes kids can grasp this better um, 
for us. I don't know if you've ever, kids, you be at school and you talk about Jesus, you talk about heaven, and you might have a friend who says something like this. I don't want to go to heaven. It's going to be boring. You just float around and sing all day. Blah. You might hear someone say that. My friend C.S. Lewis wrote a little book called Mere Christianity, where he, he addresses this issue of people like that. So hear this quote, and I just read it to you. He says, there's no need to be worried by facetious people who try to make the Christian hope of heaven ridiculous by saying they do not want to spend eternity playing hard. The answer to such people is that if they cannot understand books written for grown-ups, they should not talk about them. <laughs> all, all the scriptural imagery, harps, crowns, gold, etc., is of course merely a symbolical attempt to express the inexpressible. Musical instruments are mentioned because for many people, not all, but for many people, music is the thing known in this present life which most strongly suggests ecstasy and infinity. And crowns are mentioned to suggest the fact that those who are united with God in eternity share his splendor and power and joy. Gold is mentioned to suggest the timelessness of heaven. Gold is not rust. And the preciousness of it. People who take the symbols literally might as well think that when Christ told us to be like doves, he meant that we were to lay eggs. <laughs> now, kids... When Christ told us to be like doves, did he mean that we were to lay eggs? No, it's, a, it's an image, of, it's an image of, uh, of gentleness, of course. That all these images of heaven that we treasure, it only just scratches the surface of this beautiful kingdom that the Lord is ushering in. And so, but do we just wait for it or what do we do? We can, we can be part of seeing it unfold. Every Christ-centered act of love and mercy and justice and even creativity and, and beauty and healing is, is, gives us little glimpses of what this is going to be like. Because that's what that world is going to be like. And we can live into that every day. Now, for me, the hope of heaven, and I'll be honest with you here, it often just feels very distant. That I suppose for some people, if they, if they feel like they are... Uh, close, or if they are, uh, they, they, heaven's a more active joy in their life. For me, I, I more cling to the, the reality of Christ with me now as my comfort, not this thing that'll be in the future. But I'm corrected by the New Testament of the Bible. And actually, Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, he writes a whole chapter about this. About this. And he alludes to, the, to Isaiah. And he says, don't forget what the prophet said. Don't forget what Jesus said. And he, he goes on to say, look, you're going you're gonna to find people who say, who say this. I'll quote him. He says, 1 Peter chapter 3, 4, he says, where is this coming, he, the Lord promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Things just kind of go on and on. And he said, don't think... God is slow in unfolding this, as some people think slow things are. Don't think that. It's going to happen, and it's, it's going to be known in its fullness like a surprise. But in the meantime, since it's happening, and since it is certain, live lives that are alert and ready, and already entering into this. 
You know, pursuing holiness and goodness and justice in all the ways that you can every day of your life in anticipation of what God is doing. And we get these glimpses and we're really ushering it in. And actually, Peter says, you're actually going to kind of speed this thing up as we live into this. So we make every effort. And he just finishes by saying this. He says, this is 2 Peter 3, 8, uh, 3.18. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory now and forever. Amen. He said, look, you're in this world where it's being ushered in. Grow in God's grace. Grow in your knowledge of him and he will be glorified in that. And that is the new, this is all about the new home we get. So we have a new ministry, a new identity, and a new home. And it's all possible, and I remind us, only because of what Jesus accomplished. He's the one who, who God's salvation is known through. Jesus died. He died on our behalf. He died in our place. And because he died, we have a ministry that is a ministry that dies, that gives its self for others. We have a selfless ministry. He said, as I love, so you love. Whole new ministry. But he rose again. And that gives us a new identity. Jesus was sort of the firstborn of this new creation. And we are with him. And we are now his bride and his people. And really, the image there also is his, uh, we are co-heirs with him in this new thing. Because he rose again. But not only, not only did he die and rise again, he ascended to heaven and he said, I go there to prepare a place for you and I'm going I'm to bring you in to be there with me and you know the way. And his disciples said, actually, no, we don't know the way. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. This is the new home which Jesus is bringing in. And he accomplished it all. And I will remind us, the world will not go on forever the way it is. May we be people who take advantage and who enter into the newness that God is bringing about into our everyday. And may God bring revival to our community. Amen.